welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Nigel Desmond. So, um, this morning, I, I'm actually going to start, I think it'll be a two-part series. It might actually be longer. But this morning, I, 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 I love the way Holy Spirit does things. The way Holy Spirit uh, does things, often He will... He's not invested so much just in the message, but he has a message, I believe, in every service. And so, um, Marty's testimony and the testimonies of the girls just coming up sharing now, I was like sitting here thinking, this is so interesting because each person was talking about stories. Marty spoke about uh, their friend who knew their stories. And um, what I want to talk about is the story of the gospel, the story of the kingdom. Because it's such, an, it's such an important story. And, and honestly, many Christians don't know how to tell the story of the kingdom. Um, if someone gets a Bible, for the, if someone walks up to you with a Bible and gives it to you like a, like a book, because it is a book, and says, tell me the story of this book. Can you do it? Can you tell the story of this book? Because it's important that you do know the story of the book. Most Christians actually read the Bible like a comic book and they read it randomly. So they will open to one picture of the comic book or maybe a strip and they'll read that. But often they struggle to tell the whole story. And it's really important that you actually know the whole story of this amazing book because it's not just the story of the book, it's our story. It's how we, we understand life, and it's how we give meaning and purpose to, uh, to our lives. And there are competing stories. And there are competing stories that are out there in the marketplace, and we have to learn to tell our story compellingly, because it is the greatest story ever told. And what many Christians, particularly modern Christians, do not understand is that our message, when, when we say you need to preach the gospel, you see, in fact, in uh, most of my church life, I've he- heard people say, we need to get back to preaching the simple gospel. What is that? I was going to ask you to define what is the simple gospel. Perhaps you would go to the, the story or, of salvation. How to get saved. How from this life, you by placing faith in Jesus, you will, find, uh, you will come into the kingdom and one day you will be saved and go to heaven. I want to tell you, that's not the gospel. That, that is good news. But it's not the good news. When Jesus came, there wasn't one time where he went to someone and he said to them, Listen, you need to place faith in me as your personal Lord and Savior. Now that might be shocking, but most modern churches, that's what they preach. They preach the good news of salvation. But Jesus didn't preach the good news of salvation. Again and again, he preached the good news of the kingdom. What is the good news of the kingdom. What is the, the, the story? 
You see, because ideas have consequences. In life, ideas have consequences. What you believe will have impact on your life and how you live your life and how you build nations. And we, if we're going to have faith for the future, we need to know the story well. You need to know what it's about. Why am I teaching this right now? Well, at the moment, because of just the way this decade has started, um, on, on the internet, I notice um, so much just cropping up about end times. End times. This is the end times. We're all going to die. The Antichrist is coming. It's, 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 you know, and there's a lot of doom and gloom. And, and it's not the world talking about the end times. It's the church talking about the end times. And there's a heavy pall, it seems, of despair and fear that is settled over the very people who are meant to be carrying light and faith and hope for the future. And the tragedy is it's because they don't know their own story well. The story is told of a missionary who went to the Philippines and um, he, he went to the, uh, the Philippines and he met a crowd of young men who had, um, they were on their way to join Maoist rebels or, you know, communist rebels. And they had been particularly indoctrinated into Maoist communism. One of the young men had grown up in a Christian home and yet he was going to join this communist army. And when the missionary asked him, he said, why are you turning your back on Christ to go and uh, to, to join this army? And he said, because communism has given me what the church never gave me. It's given me a unified and coherent view of the world, history, and reality. It's secondly given me a definite goal to work for, to live for, and to die for. He's given, it's given me a call to all people for a common fraternity. And fourthly, it's given me a sense of commitment and a mission to spread the good news that there's hope for the hopeless. Christianity does not do that, he said. That's a massive indictment on the gospel he heard. And, and unfortunately, when we preach the Bible like a comic book, little snippet here, little snippet there, little picture there, and do not have a unified picture of what the story of the gospel is, that's exactly the impression we give to the world. But I want to tell you, that young man, tragically, couldn't be more wrong. There is no more compelling story than this story. This is the greatest story ever heard, ever told. And it's a true story. It's your story. It's our story. Amen? So we need to recapture a comprehensive view of what the kingdom of God is. So remember, the amazing thing is, is Jesus came and as he preached, he would, he would say, the kingdom of God is amongst you. Go and preach the good news of the kingdom. It's, it's an amazing. So where did this sort of snippet gospel occur? There was a great reversal in the church around 250 years ago. Where the church split theologically. Before that time, there was an expectation that faith in God 
and works in, the, in society when together. But at that time, what happened was there was this split and, and the evangelical movement split away from the rest of the, the church. And so the evangelical movement came and they, they in reaction, in a sense, to the, the church becoming um, quite earthbound and not having a, um, a heavenly mindset uh, at all. They split from that and they became evangel uh, 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 spiritually minded. And typically they believe that the gospel is primarily spiritual and heavenly. The liberals, however, believe that the gospel makes a difference here and now, but it's, by, it's dominated by those who employ human methods. And so they, they see the kingdom as primarily a works-based gospel. The tragedy is, is they're both right. They're both right. And they're both wrong. Because the two ways of living have to go together. The kingdom has both spiritual and temporal application. Both eternal import and it has spiritual impact. The biblical vision of the kingdom of God is not just any vision. It's the grandest vision of all. It's the vision for which Jesus lived and died. It's the vision of the first disciples. So then what is the story? What's this story? I'm going to split this up into, into uh, two. So it's the central story of the Bible. And in brief, I'm going to tell you the story in brief. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading from the beginning. <laughs> I'm just eating. I'm not going to read the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, uh, 26 to 28 says this. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and, uh, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that keep, creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let us... I have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the, uh, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that move, uh, moves on the earth. And God, uh, okay, so that's the beginning, uh, the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is God, the King of Kings, makes everything. But in those, in those first couple of verses are actually the answer to some of the biggest answer, uh, questions that every person has. Where do I come from? You see, there, there are competing stories there. There's the, there's the, the evolutionary, um, atheistic evolutionary story that says you just came from a big bang. But here we see that we were made by God in His image, in His likeness we were made. So immediately every human being has intrinsic value and worth. So we have, we have the king of uh, kings creates a garden, places man, and that's a generic term, men, uh, men and women, in that garden, and he tells them to have dominion, to rule, and to export Eden over all the earth. That's the beginning of the story. 
the gospel is, is that God has a plan to extend his kingdom into all of the earth. You know what? He has not changed his mind. This is good news. But there came a great falling. There comes an, uh, comes an enemy and he brought another kingdom and another principle, death, and the kingdom of darkness filled the earth. So that's the beginning of, this great, uh, of the great drama. And it goes on. But God promised that he would send a deliverer and that, that, uh, that his kingdom would still indeed fill the earth. Why is this important? Because it gives you hope that even from the beginning, God had planned to redeem what the enemy had broken. We, when we don't have the big picture, we can get discouraged when we focus in on the small picture. Which is what happens in every generation. Christians get focused in on the disaster of the moment. So, uh, in 2020, it was the pandemic. So many Christians were like, this is evidence. It's the end. We're all going to die. It's hopeless. The gospel is, uh, you know, the, the, the gospel is receding. So often I hear people talking about a post-Christian society. I want to challenge them and say, where? There are more Christians alive on earth today than at any time in history. Where's this post-Christian society? Oh, in that country. Yeah, it's true that the gospel sometimes goes through valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks. But I want to tell you, the peaks are growing high. And in, uh, into this story, we see God calls out a man. And we, we're going to rapidly work our way through. And that man was named Abraham. And he calls out Abraham out of all the families, uh, families of the nations. And, the, and he calls out Abraham and he says to him, Abraham, I've got a plan and I'm going to bless you. But in blessing you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. It's so powerful that you hear that. Because what we don't understand is that, is that God wasn't, it wasn't just a plan for Israel. It wasn't just a plan for Abraham. But God, looking at Abraham, looked through Abraham into Israel and to all the families of the earth and into every nation. So, so you could honestly say that in looking into Abraham's eyes, he was looking through and he could see it all. He was looking through Abraham and he, there was Tim sitting on the couch. Right the way down time, he looked and he saw you and his, and his intention to bless you was seen through Abraham, through Martin. And, and so God calls out this man and he says, I'm going to raise this, this uh, you up and I'm going to make a nation of you. I'm going to make a nation of priests. And he raises up Abraham because he's got the nations in view. Go to Genesis 12 verse 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the nations 
will be blessed. And the most amazing thing is, is God takes this nation and then he starts pouring truth into this nation, the nation of Israel. And, and God begins to give to humanity what, uh, what um, an author called uh, the gifts of the Jews. What, what were the gifts of the Jews? It was things like a, a linear view of history. You know what's amazing? Up until the Jews, up until Abraham, every pagan people had seen time as a cycle. Because it only makes sense. They would see the, the, uh, the moon do a cycle once a month. They would see a cycle in, their, uh, in the menstrual cycle of their women. They would see a cycle as the sun went ra- uh, around the earth. And so time in most pagan cultures is cyclical. It's like you, you live, uh, you get born, you live, you die, but someone else gets... And so reincarnation became a thing. But why... In Abraham, did God change that? Because God said to Abraham, He said, look at the stars of the sky. Your descendants are going to be blessed because of you. And Abraham began to see time differently. And the Jews saw time as a line. Why is that important? Because with time as a line or moving somewhere, there comes the concept of progress. If you don't have a concept of progress, you will live for right now. You won't sacrifice for, uh, for later. And one of the reasons why, to this day, the Jewish people are the most blessed people on, uh, on the earth, in some, by some metrics, financially, uh, the metrics they've been persecuted right the way through history, um, is because of this view of time. Things like they gave the world a vision of progress, the future, history, time. All gifts given by God in this earth. And so he forms this nation. But something happens. This very nation, this very family that God has created gets enslaved and they go to Egypt for 400 years. But they go down to Egypt, a family. And in Egypt, in the womb of Egypt, they, this family multiplies to such a point where they become a people but they're unlike any people that's ever existed up until that time. Because there are people without laws, without history, without, king, uh, without kings, without land. They're, they're actually a whole tribe of slaves. And God calls these people out of Egypt. These people who in a sense were not even a people. There were 12 tribes. And he calls them out. And he makes these people the people that he would choose. It's quite amazing. They were the smallest. They weren't the greatest. They were the smallest, most stubborn, weakest people. They had no civil history, no national identity, and no country. But God calls them out. And God personally disciples this nation for 40 years in the desert. His presence goes with them. He makes them a people. He makes them a nation. He makes them an army. He gives them laws. He gives them leaders. And then he gives them land. And this new nation, unlike any the world has ever seen, is born in the womb of the Sinai Desert. God's purpose was never just to raise a nation. He said from the beginning that his plan was to extend the kingdom over uh, all the earth. 
And this is what we're part of. Even in this generation, God hasn't changed his mind. The story that we are part of, we're still living the same story that, uh, that they uh, lived. The, the nation of Israel became the womb that God was preparing. Nations and empires rose and fell ar uh, around them, but God continued with his purpose. He continued to pursue his purpose, that of bringing his kingdom, his dominion into all of the earth. Sometimes Israel was faithful and sometimes Israel sinned and rebelled. But God never changed his mind nor his plan. Because even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful and he's still got his plan. So God judged his people Israel. But while they were in exile, he judged them, sent them into Babylonian exile. But while they're in exile, God raises up a prophet to come and speak to them and remind them of the plan. And remind them of the story. So go to Daniel 2. Verse 1. Oh, now I don't really have the time to read the whole passage. But in Daniel chapter 2, I want to encourage you to go and read the story. Daniel has this incredible dream, has this incredible vision. And he, in this dream, he has a, a vision of a statue. And the statue, the head of gold, it has, um, if I remember, it has a, a head of gold, has a, a chest uh, of, of silver, legs of, uh, of uh, bronze, and then feet that are mixed with bronze and clay. Do you remember the story? Yes. And then while he watches, he's quite surprised because there's this small stone cut without hands that comes and strikes that statue on the feet and shatters the whole statue. And the whole statue is blown away. But the rock that has struck the feet of the statue grows and grows and grows and grows until it becomes a mighty mountain which fills the whole earth. Quite surprised by this. But Daniel 2, 34-35 tells the interpretation. So let's go to 34-35. The interpretation that that Daniel gives. I said, you continued looking until a stone was cut with, uh, without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same, uh, uh, all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them to be found. But the stone that struck the statue Became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. This was the, uh, the dream. And now we will tell its interpretation. Sorry, this wasn't Daniel's dream. It was the king's dream. You, O king, are the king of kings. To whom the God of heaven has given the, uh, the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Wherever the sons of men dwell, or on the beasts of the field, or the beasts of the sky. He has given them into your hand. He has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of iron. And then he goes on and he delineates kingdoms that would come after him. After you will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, will, which will rule, uh, rule over you. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as, uh, as, strong as iron. And that will be going into verse uh, 40. But then, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up the, a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another uh, people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. 
and Daniel prophesying at the time of the Babylonian Empire prophesies with unbelievable accuracy not just the Babylonian Empire but the kingdoms that would come afterwards and he spoke about, uh, he spoke about uh, the Medo-Persian Empire then the Greek Empire then the Roman Empire and in the time of those things a stone would come who was that stone that stone was Jesus and notice I want you to notice that the kingdom that came in Jesus's time with the coming of Jesus he says it would fill the whole earth to a point, and then it would begin to shrink and shrink and shrink until it became a pebble that shouted, Rapture me, rapture me, rapture me, take me to heaven. Is that, is that what happened? That's not what happened. Some of you look at me like, I just read that. I'm sure it didn't say that. You see, that is kind of what many people are preaching. Many people have an expectation that the kingdom will will expand to a point but then it will shrink because the antichrist is coming and then it will get raptured like a little pebble going to heaven that's not the story of our kingdom in daniel 7 daniel uh, again we see a similar prophecy about four beasts and again it speaks about um four uh, four kingdoms but then in daniel 7 9 uh, 9 to 11 we see the great courtroom uh, open. Ah, okay, I'm going to need to read this. So bear with me. Daniel 7. And I just need to make sure I've got my reference right. Daniel 7, 9. Ninja. Daniel 7 verse 9 says this. I kept looking until the thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was white as snow and the hair of his head was, pure, uh, was like pure wool. And his throne was ablaze with flames and the wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and, the, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension was uh, granted to them for an appointed time. Verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, say with the clouds of heaven. With the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented uh, to him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all the peoples, nations, of every, uh, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is such a powerful vision. It's probably the most important um, end time scripture that you can study. Because many people are, 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 have taken the New Testament picture where Jesus said, they would see the uh, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And they are waiting in expectation for Jesus to return on the clouds of heaven. Now he may come with the clouds of heaven. But when Jesus gave that prophetic word, he was speaking to a biblically literate people 
who understood that the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven was not coming down, but coming up. Because notice, it, was, it says here that he was coming up into the courtroom of heaven. Why was he coming up? To be given a kingdom. To be given a, a, a kingdom. Verse 13, there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given power, authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting uh, dominion, etc. Uh, et so we see this promise that God gave. He gave first Adam, then an Abraham. And with each succeeding prophet, we see it amplified in a time when Israel is out in, uh, in exile. It's a, can you imagine how hopeless they must have felt? All that God had given them, their, their, their land, their, their religious system, it had all been taken from them for a whole generation. They were, living, they were living in exile. It was worse than the pandemic from their perspective. They had lost everything, it seemed. And yet, God sends them this prophetic word in that time, saying, listen, the kingdom is still going to come. There's one coming. This, uh, one like a son of man. You know, interestingly, the Jews never picked up stones to stone Jesus when he claimed to be a son of God. Wasn't that that upset them? Because they see in the scriptures that Adam was called the son of God. And they understood, they understood that we were all sons of God. When he claimed though, to be the son of man, they thought of Daniel's prophecy. When Daniel's prophecy, they understood that they, Daniel had spoken of one who was coming. To whom would be given worship. And only one, uh, one person can receive worship. That's God. And so when Jesus claimed to be the son of man, that's when they wanted to kill him. Because that was as clear a claim to divinity as anything they'd ever heard. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so we see God amplifies the, uh, this, pro uh, this prophecy. And we're going to see how in Jesus the story continues. But I want to just tell you that the hope we carry, it, it doesn't fluctuate. Because history seems to ebb and flow in different directions. But I want to tell you, the kingdom is coming. It's not gone. The kingdom is coming. It's not going. In the gospel of the kingdom, we find the good news of the value of every human person. Every person. Whether they believe in Jesus or not. Isn't that amazing? You know, we, we get to disagree with people. We don't get to devalue people. That's, we, we get to, to be uh, diametrically opposed with what they might believe. But we absolutely believe 100% in the value of every human life. Not only that, but in the gospel, we have this wonderful explanation of where we come from. But the gospel also tells us where we are going, which gives us great hope. In the gospel, we hear the truth of what is of ultimate value in life. God and his kingdom. Jesus 
Okay, and he said, seek, well, the, the word of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first. Because the kingdom is of ultimate value. God's kingdom. The extension of his reign and his rule. Next week, I'm going to speak about D-Day. Because you see, in a sense, the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament believers, they... They got to live like agents of the kingdom behind enemy lines. They, they, got, they, they, they were there preparing for the coming of the great King Jesus. But, and they carried the values and the vision. And, and they, they, they carried the ways and the w- uh, will of God. But they did so almost as ones who lived behind enemy lines. Deed, at D-Day, a baby was born at Bethlehem. And that baby shifted it. That baby changed everything. We're going to see how Jesus intimately fulfilled each the prophetic words of what, what, what God had promised. And how that story defines our times as much as any other time. I want to tell you, please cross out the idea that you live in a post-Christian society. You may possibly live in another pre-Christian society. It is possible. There was a time when it seemed like the gospel was impacting more and penetrating more of the institutions of our culture. But I want to tell you that that is about to change. Because God is faithful. He's still on the thrones. He's not panicked by the pandemic. He's not pooping himself at Putin. He is not lost control. The kingdom of God is coming. The most important thing here is to talk about what hope do you have for the nations? Are you carrying hope for the future? For the nations? Or have you bought the media negativity that the future is darker than the present? Because I don't believe that that's, that's the story of the kingdom. You know, you know what, I, I believe that my grandchildren are going to live in a better world than I, the one I live in. That's what I'm working for and believing for. That, that in my great-grandchildren's uh, time even, it will be even better. And that God is not threatened by the technology of our time, the, even the wickedness of our time. Because wickedness is nothing new. It really isn't. It's nothing new. And the kingdom has a way of overcoming every obstacle. That stone, that that stone that struck the feet of that statue, it continues to grow and will continue to grow until it fills the whole earth. Amen? Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts with great hope. That we would be hope carriers who carry and know and believe and can tell the story of the kingdom. That Lord God, it is true that we get saved and enter into your kingdom. But that salvation, although a chapter of the story is not the whole story, help us to see the fullness of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Nigel Desmond. For more information, please visit 
nigelandebi.org.